You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, episode number four. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Reading is hands down one of my most favorite pastimes. In fact, I always have multiple books on the go. And my parents love to tell this story of them saving money all year long to buy the family tickets to an Edmonton Oilers NHL playoff game when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. And what did I do during that game? Well, I had my nose in a book, the whole game, of course. And yes, I love reading that much, especially if you know how much of an Edmonton Oilers fan I am now. But anyway, I thought I would share some of the books I'm reading with you, because when it comes to weight loss, health and managing your mind, there is a wealth of knowledge out there. And what I'd love to do in this podcast is share some of that wisdom with you. And so we'll start that today. A few weeks ago, I saw Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry's book, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience and Healing, and I picked it up. Mostly because Oprah wrote it, but also because it talks about neuroscience and the stress response. And these are topics I love to read about and talk about, too. Now, when I bought it, I didn't really think it would have anything to do with weight loss. But as I read through it, I quickly realized it has everything to do with weight loss. And so I wanted to share it with you on the podcast today. If you're interested in reading the book, I'll definitely pop a link for it in the show notes down below. Now, this book is structured like a conversation between Oprah and Dr. Perry, where they really use storytelling to teach us about the effect of trauma and adversity that happens to us as children. Oprah shares some of her very deeply personal stories from her past, and Dr. Perry also shares some of the stories of his patients. The premise of the book really is to encourage a shift from asking what's wrong with you to instead asking what happened to you. And I want to illustrate why this change in language is important from the perspective of emotional eating. So often we eat without really understanding why, right? We wonder why we just can't be more in control of what and why and when we eat. Now, when you start asking yourself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just eat like a normal person? You end up beating yourself up, berating yourself and setting standards for yourself that are just impossible to live up to. When you instead ask yourself, what happened to me? This encourages you to take a look at why you think and feel the way you do. It replaces blame with compassion, and it allows the space you need to do the thought work that's so important when it comes to weight loss. Through the stories Oprah and Dr. Perry share in the book, you get a very good understanding of how and why your thoughts and feelings drive all of your actions. It's what we've been talking about since the start of the podcast, right? Now, the book starts off with a description of how the brain works and also how it develops in terms of processing thoughts and feelings. Do you see how literally everything comes back to our thoughts and feelings? Now, the brain is organized into four interconnected areas. You have the brainstem, the diencephalon, the limbic system, and the cortex. And as you move from the brainstem up to the cortex, the structure and function gets more and more complex. The brainstem and the diencephalon are what we refer to as our primitive brain. And we call it this in part because it's the part of the brain we share with all living creatures. 
It's the part of the brain that controls things like your heart beating, your breathing, sleep, and also appetite. And it's also the part of the brain that develops first in fetal development. Our primitive brain works fast, and that's because its primary job is to keep us alive. As we move up to the limbic system, this is where we feel emotions, where we experience connection and reward, and it's also where we hold our memories. At the very top, of course, is the cortex. And the cortex is what gives us the features that we equate with being human, such as speech and language and the ability to think and be creative and have hope. All experiences we have get processed from the bottom of the brain first, and then it works its way up. So this means that the most primitive parts of the brain are the first to interpret what's going on around us. The brain is literally organized for us to act and feel before we think. And this, by the way, is also how we develop as infants. You know, think about it. Infants act and feel, and it's their actions and feelings that help organize how they will begin to think as they grow. And this is why what happens to us as children is so important. It's because your personal history literally influences your brain's development when you're a child. As infants, our developing brain sorts and stores all of our experiences into a code book, essentially, that instructs us how to interpret the world around us as adults. Dr. Perry describes the story of a young boy who experienced a very abusive childhood that later started acting out with a particular teacher in school. Now, when he was younger, the boy's abuser wore Old Spice cologne, as did the teacher. The boy, as an infant, learned to equate the smell of Old Spice with abuse. And when he later smelled Old Spice on his teacher, he felt threatened and acted out without really understanding why. Now, by asking what happened to this boy rather than what's wrong with this boy, they were able to sort it out. And then the teacher stopped wearing Old Spice and the boy's behavior immediately changed. Now, here's what happened with the boy. As a young child, his cortex wasn't yet fully developed. Um, and Dr. Perry talks about how in children younger than age three, the neural networks in the cortex just aren't mature enough to create linear memory. And these are memories that include the who, how, what, where, and when of the memory. But in the lower primitive brain, neurons are firing and changing as a result of his experiences. And memories are created as associations. Now, this obviously has a huge impact on how any trauma that we experience as children is stored in the brain. The boy in Dr. Perry's story couldn't remember the who, what, when of his abuse. And so when he reacted to the smell of Old Spice, it just appeared to be random acting out to him and to the other adults around him. Now, even if you don't have a history of trauma as a child, the brain is still wired in the same way. All experiences get filtered by the primitive brain first. And the primitive brain hates novelty. Anything new is actually considered a threat by the primitive brain until proven otherwise. And so for a lot of people, feeling anxious or overwhelmed when you don't really know why, it's often really just the result of the primitive brain reacting to a new experience or a new set of circumstances. And, you know, many of you may also turn to food to soothe that anxiety and overwhelm. And all of this actually explains why there is most definitely implicit bias against bigger bodies in our society. Our brain catalogs all the information that comes to us from our family, our community, and of course also the media. 
And it tries to make sense of all of this information by forming a worldview. And so if we later meet someone with characteristics that don't resemble something we've seen before, our brain's default response is to be wary and defensive. And if our brains are filled with associations based on media-driven biases about ideal body types, we will experience implicit bias against bodies that aren't considered ideal. This ends up manifesting as fat shaming, which many of us experience on a regular basis. And fat shaming itself is actually a form of trauma. And your brain interprets trauma as a form of stress. In the book, Dr. Perry describes stress as what occurs when a challenge takes us out of balance. Our brains get dysregulated and we feel distress or discomfort or dis-ease. Our brains have a set of core regulatory networks that originate in that primitive part of the brain. And these are the neural systems that work together to keep us regulated in the face of stressors. The effects of stress are determined by how our stress response gets activated. So if stress is predictable and controllable, your stress response becomes more flexible and quite resilient. And if you have a resilient stress system, when you face a stressor in your life, you'll become alert and active and you'll be able to take the steps you need to become balanced again. But if, on the other hand, you're exposed to unpredictable or extreme or prolonged stressors, then the stress response systems become sensitized, meaning that you become more vulnerable to the negative effects of stress, such as risks to your mental, emotional, and physical health. In fact, if you have a sensitized stress response, even the most basic daily challenges will induce a state of fear. And finding balance will become exhausting and difficult. In fact, it creates something like an internal storm. And one of the ways many people navigate this internal storm is by becoming a people pleaser, always aiming to avoid conflict and ensuring that the other people around them are happy. And you might also discover in these instances that food and Dr. Perry refers particularly to sweet, salty, fatty foods, or maybe even alcohol or drugs, will give you relief from that internal storm caused by your sensitized stress system. Relief of distress by food or anything else gives us pleasure. And when it comes to the brain, pleasure equals reward. And your primitive brain loves rewards. Oprah and Dr. Perry talk about the need to fill our reward buckets every day. Now, we can do that in healthy ways by connecting to friends and families, by volunteering, or perhaps by having a fulfilling job. But we can also do it by eating sweet, salty, fatty foods. Many of us, in fact, found it harder to fill our reward buckets during the COVID pandemic. And in fact, we have studies already showing us that people reported more anxiety and more depression. And many people turned to food or other symbolic substitutes to fill their reward buckets during this pandemic. Now, the problem with activating the reward circuits is that the pleasure we feel from doing so quickly fades. Like, think of how long the pleasure of eating a potato chip actually lasts, maybe a few seconds, and then you want another and another and another. And so we feel this pull to constantly refill our reward bucket. Dr. Perry and Oprah state that the healthiest way to refill our reward buckets is through relationships. Without connection to people who care about you, spend time with you, and support you, it's almost impossible to step away from the unhealthy rewards, such as the sweet, salty, fatty foods, or overusing alcohol or porn or social media or video games, whatever it is for you. 
Connectedness to others counters the pull of these behaviors. We often talk about the fight, flight, freeze response to stress. We all know about that. But Dr. Perry states that when we encounter a potential threat, our initial default behavior is actually to flock, that humans are, at their core, very social creatures. Now, the focus of their book is really on trauma as the stressor. And Dr. Perry quotes a study done by the National Survey of Children's Health that found that nearly half of the children in the U.S. have had at least one significant traumatic experience. And another study from the CDC showed that 60% of American adults reported having at least one adverse childhood experience. These studies are reporting on big traumas, but we know, too, that trauma can also arise from less obvious experiences, such as humiliation or shaming or bullying or being marginalized in some way. And all of these have been shown to sensitize the stress response systems. And, you know, given these shocking statistics, so many of us have had these experiences. And I also bring this up because there are oodles of studies out there linking a history of personal trauma with emotional eating and binge eating. And this includes both those big T traumas and also the more subtle ones, too. In fact, if you're interested in learning more about the link between trauma and disordered eating, see the show notes for some references. But here's a piece of good news after all of that. Dr. Perry's research shows that it's actually your connectedness to family, community, and culture that predicts your mental health rather than your history of adversity. And so connectedness really has the power to counterbalance adversity. Now, of course, connection is not necessarily an easy thing to achieve when you or the other person are in the throes of stress. You can only steep in extreme stress for so long before your brain starts to do things to protect you from the pain. And when this happens, the critical thinking top parts of the brain shut down and the lower primitive parts of the brain take over. Now, remember that all incoming signals from out there in the world first get filtered through the lower primitive brain. And to communicate effectively with another person, we need to get through their primitive brain and reach their cortex, the part of the brain responsible for thinking and reflection. But if someone is stressed or angry or frustrated, the incoming input will be short-circuited at the lower brain, and so the cortex will get distorted input. And then it becomes really difficult to connect with them until their neural systems become regulated again. And this is exactly the sort of situation when you might find yourself face first in a bag of Cheetos without even realizing it, right? Your cortex has shut down and your primitive brain reaches for that symbolic substitute to soothe your pain. Dr. Perry has this great quote. He says, belonging is biology and disconnection destroys our health. Being disconnected from others impacts literally every system in our body. Being with people who are present, supportive, and nurturing is actually critical for a healthy brain, and a sense of belonging really matters to our health. And I think this is a challenge for our modern world. Like, do you agree? Like, how can we create community when we're so mobile, so distracted by our screens, and so disconnected so often? Now, Dr. Perry and Oprah posit that our ability to tolerate stressors is actually diminishing because our connectedness is diminishing. And they use the term relational poverty to describe this decreased connectedness in our society. They argue that this relational poverty means we have less capacity to deal with stress. 
and that we are becoming more sensitized to anything that feels potentially threatening, such as someone with a different political opinion, for example. And when we're sensitized like that, we quickly shift to a less rational, more emotional, primitive brain style of acting. We're losing that ability to calmly consider someone else's opinion and to reflect and attempt to see something from someone else's point of view. Now, the antidote to this is conversation. Dr. Perry states that conversation promotes resilience. And he says that discussions and arguments over family dinners and heated conversations with friends are actually great for strengthening resilience, as long as they're discussions with resolutions at the end. And he says that we shouldn't walk away from these discussions in a rage, that instead we should regulate ourselves, repair the ruptures, reconnect, and grow. And when you walk away from these discussions, everyone loses. I think we all need to get just a little bit better at listening, reflecting, understanding, and forgiving. And of course, this all begins with ourselves. And these skills are the same skills that will help you navigate your own internal world without turning to food to solve for your difficult emotions. Now, Dr. Perry also describes dissociation as a skill you can use to prevent this from happening. Now, I think the term dissociated sometimes carries a negative connotation, but what he means here is learning how to disengage from parts of the external threats and focusing instead on trained behaviors. And this is actually how elite athletes deal with the stress of competition. And in fact, it's also how I perform effectively in a resuscitation in the ER. You may have heard this state as being in the zone or in flow. Without this skill, the fear or the stress or the pressure of the situation just causes the cortex to shut down right when we need it the most. And in terms of emotional eating or binging, dissociating really means taking a step back and being the observer of your thoughts and feelings, like really taking a step back to examine why your cortex is shutting down and why your primitive brain is steering you towards the pantry. This is exactly the right time to do a thought download that we discussed in the last episode and really examine what's going on in your brain. The capacity to dissociate in this particular way is a very powerful skill, and Dr. Perry actually refers to it as a gift in the book. Now, the great news is that this skill is totally teachable, like you can learn how to do it. And in fact, you've already gotten a taste of how it's done in the first few episodes of the podcast. I'm also working on certification in hypnotherapy in my spare time, and hypnosis is also a great way of dissociating and can be a very powerful tool for teaching your brain how to respond during these times of emotional stress. Now, in addition to dissociating and finding connection with others, Dr. Perry also describes the use of rhythm to regulate your nervous system. He states that the rhythms of the natural world are embedded right into our biological systems and that this actually begins in the womb when we're rocked by our mother's heartbeat. Babies actually equate the rhythm of 60 to 80 beats per minute as being a warm, safe, and imbalanced state of being. And it's why rocking babies is so effective when they're crying. And it's why we have the instinct to rock them when they're crying. And Oprah in the book goes on to describe the use of rhythm to heal in different cultures around the world. But the point they're really trying to make is that engaging in rhythmic activities can help keep you regulated during times of stress and prevent you from overeating. So if you ever wondered why people recommend going for walks or shooting hoops or 
coloring or, you know, sitting on a swing. You know, this is the reason why it's because of the rhythm. Now, all of this talk about stress and the primitive brain may sound like doom and gloom, but the good news is that our brains can change and they can do this by a process called neuroplasticity. Neurons and neural pathways change when they are stimulated and they change in a dose-dependent way. Now, this is just a fancy way of saying that what you repeat, you become. And this is exactly why practicing a sport, for example, makes you better at it. You're changing your neural pathways to master the skills you need. And because we're social creatures and we're built to be in community with others, nurturing interactions with people can actually reverse the changes in the brain caused by threat and trauma and stress. And coaching can also be an extremely effective tool for changing your neural pathways. Coaching is all about building new associations and making new, healthier default pathways in the brain. Dr. Perry describes it as taking your old dirt road and building a fancy four-lane freeway right beside it. The old road stays, but you simply just don't use it anymore. And this is exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast, too. Build new four-lane freeways in your brain so you don't have to take the bumpy old dirt road anymore. So I'd like to finish off this episode in the same way that Oprah finishes the book, by quoting her friend, Ayanla Vizant. She said that until you heal the wounds of your past, you will continue to bleed. And the wounds will bleed through and stain your life through alcohol, through drugs, through sex, through overworking, and of course, through overeating. So, my friends, let's continue on healing our wounds together. I'll see you next week. I want to thank you for joining us today on Mindful Weight Loss. If you're ready to lose your weight once and for all, get yourself on the wait list for our first ever round of the Nourish Yourself Body and Mind Group Coaching Program. This is a six-month program coming to you this September. With this, you get monthly videos and workbooks to guide you through sustainable weight loss, and you'll also get access to multiple weekly group coaching calls where we coach not just on weight loss, but on all the things you're working through in your life. You'll also get access to optional weekly hypnosis calls, and the icing on the cake is weekly personal one-on-one coaching calls. If you want to know more or get yourself on that wait list, head on over to www.nourishyourselfbodyandmind.com and you can also find the link in the show notes. I'd also love to get to know you better. So head on over to my Instagram account and follow me at Ways of Health. Send me a message and introduce yourself. I'd particularly love to hear your thoughts on Oprah and Dr. Perry's book. Coming up next week, we'll talk about the power of making decisions ahead of time. If you want one tool to help you lose weight, this is definitely the one to start with. Until then, thank you for listening and take care. 